Welcome back to Arts About. Show about art that's a work of art in itself. Yes. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, John. Good Good morning, John. You're listening to Arts About, and you are here with us in the Artable Peace Studios uh, with Artists in Residence and Cultural Sounding Board, John Baird, the thermodynamic Mark Stewart, and me, as always, Sally Bailey, tirelessly. <laughs> I got that all completely wrong this week, didn't no, I? No, no, I like tirelessly at the end. Oh, did you? <laughs> with a little bit of a pause in order to get your breath because you're so tired. Because <laughs> I'm so tired, <laughs> exactly. Uh, how are you all this week? Is everybody good? Yeah, very good, yes, thank you. I'm glad to hear that. What are you going to be on about uh, with us this week, John? I'm going to continue a little bit of um, the themes that I'm fond of, forgery and uh, overvalued art and... Uh, Rita and Jerry Alter, a very interesting pair of people. Oh, I've never heard of them. Mm. Okay. They you can tell us who they are. States or? Well, we'll find out okay. after we've had the Sacrifice echoing introduction to what I've got to say and before Mark says, is that it? <laughs> is that it? <laughs> yeah, good. What about you, Mark? What have you got for us this uh, week? I've got a bit of a mixed bag, <clears throat> so I'll, I'll, you'll hear it when I get there. I think I'm going to talk about a couple of women who I found very... Um, very impressive as oh, a species. That's, that's very exciting. As a species. Just for, yes. for a bit of a change, that's mm. wonderful. Mm. Uh, now, I have done a few things this week. I've been quite busy. But the thing that I wanted to say today is that if anybody out there has ever thought that they wanted to introduce someone that they know to Shakespeare, now is the time to do it. Simon Phillips' MTC production is possibly the most wonderful interpretation of Shakespearean play that I have seen. It was really... Which play? It's The Twelfth Night. Mm. Uh, the performances from the entire cast are just you know, absolutely brilliant. Russell D- um, D- Dijkstras, I'm not sure how to say that actually, his Malvolio, he took over from the initial casting uh, by the uh, besieged by accusations Geoffrey Rush. Um, what a shame. Well, it was a shame. He would have bought this role. He, he would have been fantastic in this mm. role. But Russell Distress is, as Malvolio is brilliant. Mm. He is absolutely incredible, as much of a comic surprise as a triumph that role was. And then Frank Woodley is Sir Andrew Agachik, and he he just provides the funniest slapstick comedy, physical comedy I've ever seen on a stage, uh, certainly on a Shakespearean stage. Uh, Olivia, played by Kristen Whelan-Brown, and Tasman Carroll as Maria, and Esther Hannaford as Viola were all stupendous. They were all just so incredibly good. Colin Hay, lead singer from Men at Work originally, was the melodious uh, jester, and Richard Piper was Sir Tony Belch. They were all just the most remarkable performances. Where was it on? It was on at the um, Sumner Theatre at uh, you know the Art Centre. And then the set and costume designs were just... Shakespearean? Incredible. Well, they were they were modernist but magnificent and right. perfect and clever and and glorious and the co- yeah they were Shakespearean costumes but they were were modern really take. a modern take they were they had h- hilarity in them beautifully made but incredible boots and vests and oh, and so send just young just Rose along Rose would absolutely uh, love it how long is it on it's on until the fifth of January okay. um. 
And then I was sitting there right next to Pearl, my daughter, who's 18, and she and I laughed out loud from beginning to end. Mm, lovely. Where's the Sumner Theatre? It's it's the, one, it's the new part of the art centre, which is across the road, across Sturt Street. So okay. if you are going there and you're deciding to park in the underground car park, do leave yourself about half an hour to make your way through all the pathways and, and details that there are, of course, because yes. it's a yes, construction site. Yes, they don't want you site. even across the road, do no, they? No, 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 no. I, you've got I to go all the way. they're building a railway station under the art oh, centre. Oh, well, no, there was one tram passing and they wouldn't let me cross and I said, listen, forget it, I Hello. can't see a tram. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Anyway, it they is really, happy. it is just absolutely incredible. So I say bravo to the, the director, Good, Simon Phillips. And um, yeah. Go and see it if you if and if there are still tickets available. It's really, really, really good. Mm. Now on the program today, we're going to be talking with Virginia Dowser. She's a creative, a stylist, and a curator, and we're going to talk to her about her part in Hong Kong's Business Design Week, in which she is curating the work of forty fashion design, fashion-related designers, in an exhibition called We Are Luxury, um, in an opportunity for Melbourne's most influential designers and emerging brands to tell their story to the world. She's just arrived in Hong Kong, and we're going to be talking to her there as. Um, this morning. I'm going to wake her up, actually. Uh, also, we're going to be talking with Tom Seddens. He is the uh, communications manager from uh, Linda New Art. They've moved back into their new home, at, or their old home that's been renovated newly, and they're presenting their annual postcards exhibition over summer. So uh, while I try and get to Virginia on the line in her hotel room in Hong Kong, here is a band by, I just like their name, it's called The Nude Party. And this is Chevrolet Van. Think, Collaborate and Create is the largest ever international presentation of Victorian design and is part of the Hong Kong Business of Design Week. Asia's premier design event, where the international spotlight's going to be turned on Melbourne as the event's official partner city. Melbourne is the first Southern Hemisphere city to partner this major event and presents an opportunity for Melbourne's most influential designers and emerging brands to tell their story to the world. Given that Victoria designers contribute more than $5 billion to the Victorian economy and China is the largest export market for Australian design services, this is one important event, celebrating the depth, diversity and creativity of Victorian fashion. Victoria's largest ever fashion design program will be running in Hong Kong from the 1st to the 9th of December and includes an exhibition of luxe and bespoke fashion curated by our next guest this morning, stylist and creative Virginia Dowser. Virginia's talked to us on Arts About many times before about her projects over the years, and this exhibition, We Are Luxury, includes the work of 40 Melbourne-based designers in an exhibition platforming jewellers, costume designers, fashion designers, articulation artists, shoemakers, textile designers and milliners. And we're talking to her in her Hong Kong um, hotel room where she's just arrived back from the swimming pool and she's also just arrived from <laughs> Melbourne to see the fruits of many months work putting this together. Good welcome to Arts About Virginia. Oh thank you for having me again. It's a great pleasure. So you've just arrived in Hong Kong? Yes, um, just arrived late last night, went and had dumplings and, um, and, and a quick swim this morning um, and some paint samples in my room from the um, collaborators called Hattrick Creative that we're working with in Hong Kong uh, for the design build. So um, okay, them and they're looking beautiful and um, so I'm starting to get excited. I'll bet you are. It's a huge project and, and really great to see um, the incredible talents uh, for, for design being recognised on the world stage, particularly because of your interest, Virginia. It's great to see the fashion championed as a big part of that story. 
look, this is a very interesting thing that's happened. So basically, when the Victorian government um, were um, um, putting this together, of course, there's a lot of design and creativity and um, designers in Victoria. Um, but they kind of realised, oh, we need a little... Like, fashion isn't a major export for um, Victorian designers. It is for Victoria itself in terms of... Um, clothing that's designed and made in different countries, but not necessarily Melbourne-based designers. Um, and so they put this little exhibition together and said, oh, we can have a little fashion exhibition over here. And actually, as um, um, one of the heads of Creative Victoria said, that you know the fashion has come down the home straight to win, mm-hmm. almost, um, which is kind of a quite exciting thing to say because there's quite a few hidden designers based in... Um, Melbourne and the state of Victoria, who export all over the world already, have very small ateliers and work on commission basis. Wow. And so what do you think, what is this kind of exposure going to do for um, people like them? Well, I think that for for quite a few of them, they have been exporting um, around the world already, just very small runs. Often they work on their own. Um, They might have a helper during busy times um, or an intern. Um, But it really is its really interesting phenomenon that's happening at the moment. And basically it's a backlash against mass market and mass produced and also the mass designer fashion market, which is a luxury market in itself, but so many um, units are made of that one piece that people are seeking out um, work and, and wearing things that nobody else has. That That's the new luxury that we're exhibiting. Oh, is the sort of, the, yes, the special singular mm. items. Yes. So in that respect, the, the designers that are based in the state of Victoria have been working away like this for some time because they can't compete. They haven't been able to compete even if they have wanted to compete. And actually now, at, in 2018, they, they find themselves ahead of this new luxury curve, which is all about um, custom-made, made-to-measure, one-off items that nobody else can buy. And it's actually experience over expense. Mm. So it's not about the expense of the item. It's about where they went, where the, where the, the customer went to the um, atelier. They were made, it was made-to-measure for them. They got given a particular tea or something like that, had biscuits with the designer, sat and chatted about what they loved or what they didn't like. And so it's this almost money can't buy experience that people are craving um, because people, there's, there's, a, there's a big push for people to, have, to be individual and you can't be individual in a luxury market mm. when there's so many units being made. Uh, Mark, yes. Hi, Virginia. Uh, just a question: um, Does the is the fashion industry using three D printers? Um, yes. Do they? They are. So they can. This is they why are. they can do uh, individual pieces because they can just be so easily programmed to. Exactly. So what's happening? Three D printing is being used across the board in many in many different forms. So, for example, I have a pair of shoes here by the incredible studio of Preston Slee that are partly 3D printed. Mm. So they're being made like that, but also ateliers are looking into 3D printing customer forms from around the world. So your body shape, for example, if you were their customer, you would go in for a fitting, you would have a 3D model made of you, you would go back to where you lived 
um, away from the atelier and mm. that atelier would keep your, your shape to continue making clothes for you and sending them to as you. As long as you keep your shape too. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. If you change shape, you need to alert. Yes. <laughs> it's, um, given that um, this whole concept of luxury is, is, is morphing, if, if you like, that's quite a significant cultural shift that value is yes. being placed on the experience and the yes. understanding and the interaction more than the monetary levels of it, which is, you know... Yes. It's really that's very interesting, isn't it? It is. It's really interesting, but it really goes back to the old atelier. So it's almost like the old atelier is new again. So, for example, Jimmy, Jimmy Choo, um, the shoe designer, had um, shoe last from all of the people that he made shoes for, and he didn't make any shoes that sold in shops that you could just go and buy. So it is actually kind of going back to that artisan. Um, I mean almost couture, you would call it, if you, if you lived in France. Um, but on top of that, people are, you know, there's, there's quite a lot of factors that bring these kind of this kind of change about. And one of them is that people are, are not wanting waste. So, for example, you know, people that hear about um, big fashion houses that burn or throw into landfill whatever's left over so that they can keep the price high, the cost of the designer piece high, so they will dump um, what's left over at the end of the season because um, they need to keep in the marketplace, in the luxury marketplace. And people are very distraught about things like that. But also, um, if you, if you are a billionaire, uh, you, you don't necessarily want to want to sit in a in a meeting room or in a room with everyone else wearing what you have got as well. So it's a way. I mean, it, it is a social statement. Um, but it's not necessarily related to the money of it. And I find that really a gorgeous thing. You know, it's not about the brash and about I've got lots of money, so therefore I can afford this. It's about this is really interesting. This was made by this artist. Yeah. I went to their atelier. I went to their workroom. I met with them. And so it's the whole story, and it's much more appreciative of the work. Mm. But, Virginia, wouldn't that be a bit like having just your local dressmaker in the suburbs? Absolutely. Mm. Okay. Without a doubt. Yeah. Absolutely. It would. And I think that, that, that that's actually um, quite a gorgeous thing because there, there's quite a lot of people who who are so talented in all different areas um, that have fallen by the wayside because they haven't necessarily been appreciated. And I think it's more about, you know, I don't know if you've read a book called... Um, um, After America. Mm -hmm. It was actually written by a, um, a an author that was originally from Melbourne um, quite some time ago. And what he was saying that across the board, um, he was specifically talking about countries that had the power. And he was saying that, you know, America doesn't actually realise that it's not about one force anymore, that it's about individual forces. So it's about a little village here, a country town there, as opposed to the whole of America. Um, and it's quite an interesting book, but um, and and it was written some time ago, and um, over ten years ago. But this is really happening across the board with a lot of different things. So it's the little guy who is moving things forward, who has a huge voice, um, and will in the future have a very huge voice. And I say, if you're a small designer or if you're a small operator, you know your your time is coming. Your time is now, really. 
technology is enabling it, of course, too. It must, given that you've got you've got forty designers that you're, you're representing over there, uh, it must have been a very difficult process to actually choose them. And I know, looking at the list that you have sent me, there's some very kind of brave choices because they're they're some of them are some rather out there artists. Yes. Well, I was lucky enough. There's five exhibitions in in where in the space that I'm showing in. Um, one is RMIT. Another is Kangan students. One is our Indigenous and Aboriginal um, Victorian-based designers. Um, Another is... um, Fantastic. And I know that one of the, um, well, Lisa Rowett is one of the artists that you're coming across and we've talked with Lisa and we've had Lisa on the show often. And also Megan Greenwood, who is a silversmith who we spoke to, I think, last year. And she was originally in uh, in Dramana, I think, but she's moved somewhere to the other side of the peninsula. She's part of it. Um, I think we're going to try and, and talk with some of these a little bit later on and see how this ex- how the, this exhibition has impacted on, on their work. Um, we're running out of time, but uh, we are luxury. We are luxury is and the um, a business Hong Kong Business of Design Week, I guess, is running from the first to the ninth of December. Is that right in in Hong Kong? That's right. Yes. Yes. And how can people find out a little bit about that? Is there a website that they could go to to have a look at information about what you're doing? There is there there is a link, um, and it's a, a Creative Victoria link. But if you if um, well, there's a few that, different hashtags which I don't have at the ready. That's okay. What um, I'll do is I will. I can send through. If you email them to me, I'll put them on our Facebook page so that our listeners can can track through. That would be fantastic. Wonderful, wonderful. So it's a very exciting time here, yeah, and um, and it, and Victorians are taking over the whole of Hong Kong. Kong. We can it's, feel feel the groundswell already. It's so exciting. Good luck. Have a great time, and we look forward to hearing about it when you come back. Thanks so much. Lovely, lovely to chat. Thanks, Virginia. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Virginia Dowser, stylist, curator and a creative person. We'll get her in here on the show again in the future. In the meantime, here's a few uh, messages from our sponsor while we get Tom Seddens from Linda New Art on the line. 
Linda New Arts in Ackland Street in St Kilda has at its core the support and mentoring of mid-career artists, providing exhibition space and mentoring to encourage and nurture artists within their fold. Every year they stage a postcards exhibition, which is a much-loved inclusion in their program, that's an open-entry, small postcard-sized exhibition of collectible 8 by 10 inch artworks crossing genres and mediums. There's no set theme and artists can submit up to four artworks, which must have been completed this year. And to talk with us this morning about it all is Tom Seddens, the Communications and Marketing Coordinator for Linda New Art. Welcome to Arts About Tom. Thank you, Sally. Thank you very much for having me. It's a great pleasure. Tom, you're back in St Kilda after a year or two in the Domain House. Was it two years? Well, it was uh, almost two years. Uh, our building in St Kilda, which is a beautiful uh, Victorian era, uh, was originally a private residence. Um, owned by the City of Port Phillip Council and uh, needed some structural repairs and it resulted in having a new entryway added to the building as well uh, to give access to the second floor for all visitors, which was great. And so we were uh, in a temporary home or a couple of spots, I guess, uh, for nearly 18 months while the um, building had uh, a $1.9 million renovation, which is very exciting. Is it great to be back? It's really exciting to, to be back. We came back uh, in August this year for uh, some really great exhibitions by an uh, artist called Julia Deville and Natalie Ryan that uh, just really showcased the building and uh, we're just really happy to be back home in St Kilda. So you've got the postcards, the annual postcard show is up and running? Well, the postcard show opens on the 23rd, so we're actually just putting the finishing touches on. Uh, as we speak, there are people uh, downstairs hammering nearly 1,000 small artworks into the gallery walls, which is quite an amazing thing to behold. Uh, and so the show opens up uh, on Friday um, at 4 p.m. when uh, we'll have quite a lot of artists, excited artists uh, and friends and postcard uh, collectors or artwork collectors uh, in the gallery. Uh, waiting to hear uh, who the winners of the prizes are. So tell us a little bit about the um, uh, uh, the criteria of the postcard show. It's really quite simple and uh, we have, um, it's important that we have it open to everybody. We really would love the idea for everybody who wanted to have some work uh, hanging in the gallery walls to be able to come in and see their work on the walls. Uh, so we get artists from emerging or hobby artists uh, to established artists who supported the show uh, over the years. And uh, as long as um, people make their artworks to a specific size, which is 8 by 10 inches, uh, no bigger or no smaller, that's our one uh, strict rule, um, people can enter the show. Uh, so do you have children um, entering? We do, and mm. it can be quite delightful. We've had uh, a lot of children entering the work, uh, entering work into the show, sorry, um, and right up to uh, people who are... Uh, well, a whole lot older. Let's not mention ages. <laughs> <laughs> now, and uh, uh, yeah, different different types of styles as well. So, does it include photography? Yes, it definitely includes mm. photography and uh, all mediums that can hang on a wall, uh, except uh, say video. Um, as long as it can be hung on a wall, uh, we accept all sorts of um, different styles of work. Uh, and so we do get a lot of photographs, a lot of paintings, um, particularly of animals and landscapes are very popular. Uh, and then we get all sorts of other things, mixed media. Uh, we even have some small, almost sculptural works. Um, 
So get everything, really. Well, and it's got a pretty significant prize. It's got a $5,000 cash prize attached to it. Yes, we have an anonymous donor um, providing that this year, which is kind of exciting. But there are six prizes all up uh, by a number of sponsors. So there's the $5,000 cash prize. We have um, a $1,500 cash prize from Elwood Community Bank for their Artist Encouragement Award. And the Palais Theatre has provided $1,000 for their Creativity Award. Um, The member for Albert Park, uh, which is um, uh, Martin Foley, has provided $600 cash prize for the local artist award. So that's artists in the city of Port Phillip. Uh, and that artwork actually gets reproduced on a greeting card that mm-hmm. is used um, in the electric, which is quite exciting. And we also have um, an art Eckersley's Art and Craft Award, and they uh, have put a uh, $500 voucher for their, uh, um, their show, uh, sorry, their store, uh, and it's the best landscape in show. Mm. That's, it's a pretty significant list of prizes. It's rather wonderful. Uh, uh, for all the artists listening out there, don't forget maybe next year. When, when was your cut-off? It was just a couple of weeks ago. So we like to keep it um, fairly close that yep. people have an opportunity to finish works off um, and then uh, we need to get them into the gallery and uh, start hang, hanging them all up. Uh, the show is normally around uh, this time of year. Uh, so a cut-off is usually... Uh, in October. Mm, okay. And how do you judge them? Is it is it the uh, Linda New Art team or do you bring in judges? It's a good question. We uh, always have a panel of three independent um, arts industry professionals and we like to get uh, a mixture of different people um, each year and from different uh, types of galleries, <laughs> I suppose, including uh, regional galleries. Uh, This year we have Lucy McIntosh, who's Artistic Director of Blindside, uh, an artist on space in in Melbourne. Uh, Brioni Nineby, who's the Director of Benella Art Gallery. And Penny Teal, who's the Curator of um, Bungle Place Gallery. Ah. So those uh, judges all will come in um, tomorrow, actually, Mm -hmm. and uh, spend some time trying to make the very difficult decisions uh, with so many artworks of which one they think uh, merit um, those prizes. Uh, Tom, isn't it a little bit sexist, three women judges? There's no oh, men? Sure. <laughs> Where are the white males? Uh, huh? the Tom, white you males. just can't win, honestly. <laughs> it's either no women or it's all women well, and then that's sexist. Up for next year. <laughs> well, I will. I yeah, will. that's Balance a very good idea. Me. I won't wear a dress. But... Um, <laughs> Well, it'll be very interesting to see who they choose. That would that is even more interesting. Of course, it will be. And there's and uh, you know as you listed, there's there's quite a lot of different prizes. We're running out of time, but um, I know that the Linden Art Prize, the Non-Acquisitive uh, Contemporary Art Award, is coming up soon, uh, early next year, and that's a ten thousand dollar award prize that uh, that the gallery runs. When does that um, when does that open and close, Tom? Before we let you go. Well, that's a good question. The Linden Art Prize uh, is actually for uh, people who have just uh, graduated from a Victorian university in the last uh, two years. It's normally annual, but we had a bit of a break uh, last year because of uh, our renovations. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't remember the actual date off the top of my head. It's in February. Yeah. Uh, so if people have a look at our website, lindenarts.org, they can find out all about that. But we really we had quite a great number of um, artists who have just graduated 
uh, from visual arts and the Victorian University submits. So it should be quite an interesting show. It's always an interesting show. Um, for our listeners, though, the Linden New Art Postcard Show is running through from uh, the 23rd of November to the 10th of February. And we will put links up on our Facebook page so you can go and have a look and see where and how and, and what's going on there. And also you can find out about that other one as well. Thank you so much for talking to us today, Tom Seddon. It's really uh, terrific that you're back in place in your new or your old uh, venue. And we'll look forward to getting up there soon. Fantastic, Sally. Sally, thanks very much. Thanks for talking to us today. Bye. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. And now it's time for... John on. I got it. I got it on. <laughs> I was just... Look, that woke me up. I was looking out the window and uh, there's a cloud that had arranged itself. It's gone now, Mark. You can look all you like. <laughs> it had ra- arranged itself behind a tree out the window there in exact the shape of the tree. So behind it, so all behind the tree was white, the rest was blue. It looked like a big cotton ball. Oh, lovely, John. <laughs> I'm glad you can have these hallucinations. Yeah. What do you want? Yeah, what, yeah, what are you on and what are you going to be <laughs> on about next? Uh, there's a couple in America who, before they died, mm-hmm. um, and I guess after they died, are called Jerry and Rita Alta. And uh, they were a pair of school teachers, mm-hmm. very ordinary sort of couple. Um, and they looked ordinary, and they lived in an ordinary house, and mm. there wasn't anything odd about them at all, except that when they did die, their family went through the house and found a $100 million decooning behind the <gasps> bedroom door. Bloody hell. On the bedroom wall, and you could only see this painting when you are in the bedroom and the door was shut. Wow. Uh, the, only, the only other view you'd get of it was through a window, which had been blacked off, uh, blanked off with some black velvet so no one could see in. Which de Kooning was it? Do you know? Uh, it was from. It was stolen some 30 years previously from a university, a nearby university. And, uh, oh, it was stolen. It was called an Ochre Woman. Mm. Uh, so it's the woman series. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, his most pop, uh, famous and expensive series. Yeah. <clears throat> um, they also, it seems, um, spent quite a lot of their time in semi-retirement and traveling the world they went to uh, 149 countries uh, in their travels and no one really knows where the money was coming from they were school teachers uh, so perhaps they'd got their hands on the de Kooning and some other stuff which they'd moved on but they liked the Willem de Kooning and had hung on to it and uh, there was the, the beautiful part of that story is that um, the guy who uh, went through the house to have a look at the uh, contents. The contents <clears throat> uh, took the de Kooning with him, thinking it was a mid-century painting, maybe worth something. And uh, he took it to his antique store, and people kept coming in and saying, "That's a de Kooning." <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't really take much notice of them until it happened enough for him to think, "All right, I'll have a look." And he he looked up. Willem de Kooning on his computer and the first thing that came up was uh, missing de Kooning you know from the University of blah 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 and it was a picture of the painting that he had (gasps) and he rang the museum and there was a girl at the desk and uh, he said I think I've got something of yours and she said what's that and uh, he said the de Kooning and she said just hang on a minute will you (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness 
Yeah, and they came up to the store and had a look at it and... Um, sure enough. Yeah, the director of the gallery was on his knees in front of it, weeping. You know. Oh, they my found goodness. Their painting Isn't that incredible? 30s. So the, um, did they have children? Were they, in, um, they had nieces and nephews, all of whom are utterly kind of confused by the fact that their uncle and aunt would have a de Kooning behind a bedroom door. And uh, and cl- trying to claim the reward. <laughs> well, no, exactly yeah. the reward. And I mean, were they considered um, criminals then? Are they? Was well, it, were they they, they tried to claim the reward, but uh, I think we're pretty quickly told that they weren't going to get a reward, given that their relatives had, uh, it would seem, had stolen the painting. Yeah, but yeah. not. It hasn't been proven that they did. But because no, um, they could be um, for receiving stolen goods, or they maybe they could be cl- claim innocence. They were in the town that the painting uh, was in on the day that it was stolen. Okay. Um, uh, there was a red convertible car was seen speeding away from the museum, and they owned a red convertible car. <laughs> <laughs> Dead giveaway. Hang on. How big was the painting? Because there's, I mean, there's not many. Uh, not that, that big. Okay. Um, so it could fit and in the boot. They actually mutilated it by removing it from the mute. They cut the frame. it with a inside, oh, okay. cut, cut it out, out of the frame. frame. So they uh, they shortened the uh, width and height by uh, some amount. But if it was an abstraction, you probably couldn't tell anyway, could you? Oh, uh, you can tell because the paint goes around the corner in areas where it's been restretched. Yeah. Mm. Now the uh, the other one is the. Um, uh, Mundi. Yeah, the Mundi. Salvatore. Salvatore Mundi, which I think is the world saviour, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, da Vinci, there's only 20 Da Vinci paintings in the world. You can imagine people's surprise and delight when another one turns up. And uh, it turned up in a rather odd way. It was it, uh, it just... All, all I can discover is that it came from Louisiana. It was somewhere in Louisiana. And... Um, a couple of art dealers got their hands on it and they started looking at it and thinking about it. Yeah, because it was originally um, declared a, a fake. No, yeah, they thought, they, in fact, the owners thought it was, it was a, a fake. fake. Yeah. And, and, and it's been re... They had other people look at it. Uh, and one of the, one of the things that, um, that made people pay attention was that it uh, it included a pedimente, which is like a, a mistake made by the artist um, that had been crudely fixed. So often um, paintings will have that kind of uh, thing going on and it has suggested in the past that they're not forgeries because there's a mistake which has been fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, but forgers pretty quickly got onto, onto that, that and that. started adding their own pedimente. Absolutely. Um, so it's a picture of Christ who's got, he originally had two right thumbs. So oh. um, he'd moved the thumb across from one position to another and was kind of looking at it and trying to figure out which one he preferred, I guess, when the painting was either unfinished or discarded or whatever. Um, bad condition, it was in very bad condition and uh, was then restored and presented to the London Gallery who were having a Da Vinci show, and they put it on the wall in their Da Vinci show against their own um, ruling, which is that no painting that's on the market should be hung on the wall of the gallery. And uh, the painting was clearly on the market, but it was a Da Vinci show, and this was another Da Vinci painting that, you know, 21 out of 20. Uh, So they hung it, uh, and then it went from there 
was sold a few times under mysterious circumstances. There's still lawsuits going on about the sale of the painting. Once for eighty million, then one hundred and forty-five million, then four hundred and fifty million at the auction. The four hundred and fifty was at auction, yeah. whereas the other ones were private sales. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Incredible. Yeah, um, and now no one knows where it is. It was bought by the uh, Abu, the Louvre in. in oh, Abu Dhabi! Abu I'm Dhabi. going there. Yeah, I'm going there. Well, you won't year. see this painting there oh. because they bought it and it hasn't been seen since. No, so it's in Essentially, um, no one knows where it came from, no one knows where it is, and no one knows where <coughs> we might expect to see it again in the future. And uh, it is possibly the most valuable item on the face of the earth by weight per gram. Yeah, what, you made a calculation of that before. Yeah, about what, one and a half million dollars a gram. So does that make it the most expensive? Oh, some diamonds, I guess. What is a diamond worth? I don't know, but, yeah. by gram. Mm. I don't know. Don't know. Carrots are good. I don't know how to work that one out. Hashish, pretty expensive. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's very expensive, hashish, yeah. Not quite that much. You can't get it. <coughs> one and a half million dollars a gram would be a little bit much to ask, wouldn't much. it? But still, there, I mean, it, 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 it is an interesting phenomenon, you, and you've seen the images of the painting, and it's it's it doesn't look very... I mean, obviously, it's just an image. We haven't seen the real thing. It, that, it, did, it did look a little fake. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't have credited it. No. Um, it seemed empty. It had this sort of an emptiness. It, I think it's the re it's the result of people just wanting it to be yeah. a Da Vinci. You know, yeah, yeah. They, there was a great desire for it to be an act, the, the real thing, and yeah. uh, and that's got it over the line. Yeah. God. All right. <clears throat> oh, that's it. Uh. <laughs> 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 I think you've got to do another one of these. Yeah, Okay, so Mark, what have ah, you got for times. us? Well, talking about hashish. <clears throat> oh, were, oh we? were we? Were we? <laughs> <laughs> Briefly, um, we, the medical marijuana has been um, uh, legalized in 33 states in America. Yeah. yeah. And they've discovered that in these 33 states, the birth rate has gone up. <laughs> Oh, you can, this is serious. Well, statistics can come up with all sorts of interesting... Well, they can, John, but I looked into this, and they've, they've done, the researchers have done a quite a good job. But right. that's, you know, they, they are, statisticians have to be fairly accurate, so otherwise they're, you know, they're gunned down pretty quickly afterwards. So um, you know, they've legalised... Um, you know, it's a t sort of tidal wave of legalisation, which will yeah. come to this country eventually, sooner rather than later. <clears throat> they found that um, there is, when there is... Um, uh, legalized marijuana in the state, there is an increased frequency of sexual intercourse, uh, decreased purchase, purchases of condoms, and decreased condom use during sex. I don't know how they managed to find that out. That's, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's interesting in itself, yeah, isn't it? <laughs> we'll have to look into that. Apparently, marijuana consumption heightens sensory perception. Who would have known? Who would have known that? Although increases relaxation. Really? Yes. Reduces stress, John. Yeah. And diminishes anxiety. Oh, okay. A feeling of relaxation may change attitudes towards taking sexual risks by becoming less concerned about the consequences. Mm. Well, that's what happened in the 60s, isn't it? <laughs> 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 Including reducing protect protection or taking on more sexual partners. The result is a baby boom. 
So I think countries like Russia, China, Japan, Italy, and Germany, who are all demographically challenged, that I think the um, they shouldn't have marijuana. They should definitely have marijuana. They need. They need more children. They're demographically oh. challenged, oh. meaning that they have their birth rate. It has to be like 2.2 babies per, right. per couple, and theirs is about 1.6, 1.8. No, uh, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. We need to be going backwards uh, in population. Don't you think? No, no, we, no. Well, you can't because you need to have. You can't be going backwards because it means that you're you're um, uh, economically. It's not a. It's, it's, I, uh, I know this is a question. I yeah. know it's a question. It really is. We can't mm. actually we lose can't. population too much. Or, yeah, we can go back. Slowly. We can go back to the seventies if yeah, you like. That I mean, would be good. Remember, yeah, there was. Yeah, we seventies were houses great. Houses were cheap. They were great. We had a lot of fun. <laughs> we did, didn't we? <laughs> no, they legalized. Um, <laughs> no children being made either. No. They legalized marijuana in Canada. Mm. And then promptly ran out. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> well, look, we can help them out there somehow. I'm sure. I mean, they can't. They can grow marijuana. It's the easiest thing you can watch it grow. It's unbelievable. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. No, I wouldn't know either. I've been told. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'd like to speak about this lovely woman called Jean or Jean uh, Jean Calder. Yep. An 82-year-old former school teacher from Mackay in Queensland. Yeah. Mackay. Mackay, yep. thank you. She worked with uh, disabled children in war-torn Beirut in the 80s, then moved on to Gaza, where she trains physical therapists at the University College of Ability Development in mm-hmm. Gaza. She's adopted three disabled Palestinian orphans. The eldest, Hamoudi, severely disabled by cerebral palsy, lived with her until he died last year. Dalal, a blind girl who earned a master's from Edinburgh University and teaches there now. And uh, Badia, a hemiplegic in his 40s who lives downstairs. A brave woman. That's mm. all I want to say about her. She well, like there's more to say character. about her. And I think that that's, we don't hear those kinds of stories about us no. all that often. You no. know, We hear stories about how horrible we are. Yeah, yeah that's true. But we don't often hear... Stories about how wonderful we can be. Yes, and good honour. No, yeah. good honour. Exactly. Good this is, and this for me. What's her name again? Her name is Jean Calder. Mm-hmm. G- G- say Jean in Australia, in English. Yeah. yeah. She's eighty-two. You know, she's that's getting on. She's three orphans. She's had. She's got two. Only two now. But um, she's staying in Gaza, and she doesn't talk about the politics. She doesn't talk about the hashtag Me Too campaign. She's just right in there doing yeah. it. Yeah. Amazing. This is, this is why I find you know, a lot of these actresses in the hashtag Me Too campaign. Questionable in, in their you know, what they're talking about. Them. I, I know they're sort of talking about everybody else as well, but it seems to be more about themselves. Um, now, then my next question is: How yes. rich is rich enough? Oh, I don't know. But um, uh, what was her name? Um, Diana Vreeland said, "You can never be too rich or too thin." No, she was definitely too thin. Mm, she was a bit, mm. I think. I don't know about rich. I don't know about rich either. Why? No. What you're going to well, tell Jay, us? Jay Paul Getty's remark always interested me. You know, he's famous for saying that money doesn't make you happy. No. But the he that's half the remark. Yes. He, what he actually said was, money doesn't make you happy, but I've heard the lack of it can make you miserable. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Well, it's, it's like the um, tyranny of distance remark from George. Uh, Jeffrey Blaney, is it? Who, you know, the, or was it Jeffrey Blaney? No, it was Dan, it was another guy, another historian who we've forgotten about. This Australian, he, that 
tyranny of distance. Or the, no, the lucky country. That was right. the lucky country comment. It's a lucky country run by fools. Right. Mm. And that's something we don't mm. hear about very often either. I don't know if that's still the case. It is absolutely still the case. It yeah. is still the case. The rich enough thing uh, question is in relation to the universal wage that uh, people are bantering about. Oh, yes. The fact that they talk, this is uh, Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and company yes. talking about the fact that there won't be that much work for people and that they are, they are definitely uh, agreed there should be a universal yep. wage if there won't be work. And I'm just wondering how much that universal wage might be. Well, enough to live on. Enough to live on. Enough to just. live on, but, but yes, just, within the, so that there is incentive to actually participate and work and earn more. I think that's if there is the work. No, that's the thing. How, what sort of work? You know, it's like all the volunteers working in museums or and participating and is probably yes. What 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 that process might be? I don't mm. know. But in, to enable some kind of financial reward. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because the richest man in the world is um, Jeff Bezos. Yes. And, Amazon uh, man. Amazon. I don't think he's very popular, is he? Uh, look, he's, uh, he drives a 1996 uh, Honda. Um, doesn't make him popular, though. Doesn't make him popular, no. He spends nothing. Oh. He puts it all back into Amazon. Right. Obviously, he's being the richest man in the world, he's not going to be very popular, is he? And he's right. hard. He's is hard. he a charitable man? Well, apparently. I don't know. He, I'm sure he is. I mean, he's providing work from for you know, a lot of people. For example, they've just chosen their second headquarters, which is one is in Virginia and one's in New York. I think there's Long been Island. a lot of question about the culture of his organisation, though, actually. So what they're saying, because they say yeah. that um, you know, he, they give away free bananas to all the workers and all the fruit shops around the Amazon headquarters are not very happy about that, for example. <laughs> Where do they get the bananas from? Where do Mark? they get this stuff? Where do you get this stuff? They're droned in. Do they buy bananas on Amazon? <laughs> <laughs> Christ only knows. <clears throat> but what they say is that there's all these people. There's 25,000 people moving into Long Island City. Or, or they've, they've split the headquarters up. And they're going to have. So what happens is uh, all the um, house prices going up, but a lot of restaurants come moving in, that there's, um, there's all these very sort of geeky. Uh, what I'd be really concerned about are all is, is the aftershave and the deodorant that all these bloody geeks would be wearing. You know, imagine you, yuck. How many, pa- how <laughs> many people wear, in there? 25,000 in Long Island City and another 25,000 right. in... And Virginia. they're all eating bananas at the same they're time. They're all eating bananas. That's a lot, That's a lot of bananas. And they're allowed to bring their dogs to right. the office and they had to bring in special plants to, for where the oh dogs could God, pee on. Oh, my God, it's getting worse. So, so you can, you know, this is the thing. The aftershave, un- bananas and dogs. The <laughs> unexpected consequences of what, you know, mm. what they're going. But he's, mm. you know, he's providing a lot of... Um, I don't buy on Amazon, but I'm sure you all do. No, I don't. Okay, John. And, and in uh, fact, I don't have a... What do you do to buy on Amazon? Do you have to have an app or something? You have to have an account. Now, one last thing. Yes. Doug Moran, the Lynn Savary, won yes. the self-portrait. She'd only been yeah. painting for a year. She won 150000 Good on you, Lynn. Yeah. Terrible painting, but lucky you. And where did you meet Louise? Lynn, wasn't it? Yeah. Lynn. Yes, I but she, no, no, I wasn't talking to you. I was oh. asking Lynn, where did you meet Louise Newman? Oh, well, yes, John, well, you, you can ask questions about that, I can't. Now, oh, Hark, I haven't said that for a while, have I? No, this week. Okay, <laughs> it's time for the news, everybody. Um, as we, we talked today with uh, Tom Seddens from the Linden New Art Gallery about their postcard show, have a look on our Facebook page. I'll put a link there so you, you can see what's on. It's going to be there all over summer. And uh, keep an ear out for the New Art Prize next year.
uh, now go and see Twelfth Night at the As MTC. I said, yes. <clears throat> As Sally said, um, you can believe her. She's a very good critic. It really is one of the most incredible p- productions I've seen. It was just so accessible. And you know those things, they can, be, they can be kind of funny and whatever. But to see young people, particularly like my daughter sitting next to me, like mm. laughing, laughing out, out loud that's, that's throughout, and it was just fantastic. Excellent. Go and see it. 12th Peninsula Summer Music Festival, the 13th of January, 2019. The new artistic director of the Peninsula Summer Music Festival is Oboas Benopi. We spoke to him last week. We did. Uh, and the new program has been published. Um, so where do they find out, Sally? They go to the Peninsula um, Music Fest uh, website. There's a link on our Facebook page, so yeah, go to our Facebook page. Just Google it. <clears throat> now, the second in the series of public consultations with the Mornington Peninsula Shire about their arts and culture strategy is on on Monday the 3rd at the Mornington Park Pavilion in Flinders Drive, Mornington at 6pm. We went along to the first one. It's uh, f- facilitated by uh, another organisation. It's kind of interesting. I think it's if you're going to... If you're interested in what is going on in the arts on the Mornington Peninsula. Or what will be going on. Yes, what will be going on and what is going on already, then you probably should go down there and have a listen and maybe participate in their conversations. That link, uh, Links to those are on the... Uh, or on our Facebook page. We spoke with Tracy Lee um, Smith about Lovely that woman. a couple of weeks ago. I will be going to this meeting while you're trekking I'll through the Himalayas. I'll be away, yes, I'll be up in the Himalayas at that time. I might yes. see if I can have another smoked salmon and the salad wrap. Yeah, that went bad. The Mondella exhibition is on until 3rd of March at Melbourne Museum. Tickets available through Ticket Tech. $32 for a ticket. I thought it was outrageously expensive. For, yeah, <clears> it looks Mandela. like a big thing. I'm go- hopefully I'm going to talk with... Uh, Maybe their producer next week about what that exhibition actually is. It sounds huge, okay, and yeah. we, we we might find out a little bit more. Good. Um, so if you've just tuned in, uh, you've missed Arts About, but you can hear the repeat on Wednesdays at twelve. Arts About's available on air, streaming from the station website or the RWP phone app, and we also podcast the show on a Wooshka site, which you can find by checking into our Facebook page. I know I keep saying Facebook page, page. Yeah, just go to our Facebook page. We're yeah. going to be on same time next week, 11am on Sunday. And remember, everybody, we may not know everything about art. Well, we know what's disturbing about forgeries and thefts. Yeah. Not much, do. as it turns out. It's pretty entertaining like stuff, yeah. isn't it? <laughs>